Today's episode is brought to you by Slay House Publishing, recorded at Wayne Howard Studios. Trevor, Trevor, are you here today, Trevor? I'm here, Jeremy, <laughs> Jeremy, we <laughs> are talking about... This is Slay House Presents Publishing Publishing House Publishing Presents Litbits Litbits, I forgot what the fuck we were talking about We're trilling so much in our Everyone has just tuned out Entirely from this intro We welcome with us today Cha-Cha, or whatever that... Cha-Cha. <laughs> Wasn't that her name, the, the singer that like would, would like... Reba. <laughs> so, we're not making fun of that, though. We're making we're alienating fun... alienating a lot of people. <laughs> we piss people off every episode. We have to, Our last episode had two listeners. Two. Today's, today's audience that we want to piss off are people who... Roll their R's like 18th un- century poets unnecessarily when they <laughs> or when 19th they century poets, whatever. 19th century yeah. poets, yeah, or, or or British actors playing 19th century and poets in was, the early it's 20th the century. Most egregious <laughs> accent I think I've ever heard in a movie. And I watched, I remind you, I watched House of Gucci. <laughs> Could Jared Leto do Lord Byron's accent? Jared Leto is Lord Byron. It's a me. It's a me. Jared Leto. <laughs> he rolls his eyes. He rolls his eyes. Lord, By- Lord Byron. Lord Byron. Lord Byron. So, I hope that he was as insufferable in real life with his accent. I feel like he would have been. <laughs> Oh my God! So what are we talking? Well, we're still on the uh, the summer of universal horror, and instead of going chronologically, we are actually decided we were going to tackle the sequel to Frankenstein, yeah. which on its own, we're, we're not going to tackle each and every sequel because each and every sequel does not stand on its own like well, and, Bride and of Frankenstein. Some of these sequels, are, I mean, let's be real, some of these sequels real bad. Yeah, 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 real bad. This was a cash cow for two decades. They're going to turn out some stinkers for sure. So, so hundred percent. Yeah, so we're talking about Bride of Frankenstein because of all the sequels that ever came out in that 20-year time span, I think that was the one that actually kind of stands on its own. It's its own film. So we did, we have to give mention to Bride of Frankenstein. Although, I don't know if we we need, like when we discuss the sequels, we need to discuss the passing sequel of, of Son of Frankenstein because only then people will fully understand Gene Wilder's the, performance in Young Frankenstein. Oh, yeah, for sure. <laughs> Basil Rathbone is, he just hams it up through that whole yeah. movie. Even worse than Lord Byron oh, at the beginning yeah. of. And it's hammy. <laughs> yeah. It is really hammy. Yeah, yeah. It's it's done. It's done in the oven. It's it's such a ham. Yeah. It's Oh, absolutely. <laughs> so today we're talking about Bride of Frankenstein, 1935's. Uh-huh. Sequel to the original Frankenstein, both Carl Lamely is back as producer and James Whale is back as, yeah, I know, I'm trying to get that settled. <laughs> it's like, it's drifting. My mic is, my mic is drifting. <laughs> it's, my mic it's is. A, the Tokyo drift of mics. <laughs> it is. Um, James Whale is back as director. Boris Karloff and Colin Clive are both back, but Valerie Hobson replaced Mae Clark as Elizabeth for whatever the fuck reason. I mean, I, you know what? Superior casting. Possibly. I, I'm going out there and saying I don't remember a, a goddamn thing about Elizabeth from the previous movie. Yeah, she has like two lines. I and think, we the whole... just watched them. Yeah, we did. Uh, but I think that this actress who replaces her as as Elizabeth is really fantastic. Although I I recall her being very young. Yeah, I she, like. I feel like she was seventeen or something. When she, she looks was really young in the yeah. in the thing. Um, and then Elsa Lanchester. Plays Mary Shelley at the beginning. Phenomenal. Oh, my gosh. And she plays... Uh-oh, wait, no. Spoiler alert. Spoiler alert. For a, a film... Man, we do this every time. We spoil these old, old... Like like almost 90 years old. Yeah. 87 years old or whatever. 
Uh, she plays the monster. So if you were confused yeah. by the question mark at the at the end of the movie that who plays the monster's mate. <laughs> and you can't tell. You're face blind. And you can't tell. It. It's the same woman that <laughs> played Mary one. Shelley at the beginning. Same woman. At least they didn't call her Mrs. Percy Shelley in this one. Oh, yeah, yeah, that's right. That's right. Yeah, because in the first one, they're, they're just like, you know, Mary Shelley doesn't even have an identity yeah. in the credits. It's, yeah. it's Mrs. Percy Shelley. Yeah. So, so yeah, so, uh, of course, that film starts with that ridiculous performance by Lord Byron. It's so As he macks all over Mary Shelley. I mean, I can't, I don't feel like it's appropriate to call it camp, because camp was definitely a much later era, I think, um, of of performance. I associate camp a lot more with, like, the 60s and, and, like, just a a very deliberate kind of cross-section of media in the 60s. Um, but boy, if, if you don't draw that line, it's hard to tell because this one slips so far. I mean, it doesn't teeter on any edge. It, it drives off that edge like Thelma and Louise just dives for it. Oh my God. Yeah. He, um, man, that it's so over the top. I'm watching this and I'm like, I, we didn't get to watch it together this time, but I've got it on and Carrie's sitting there with me and, and we're watching this and I'm like, man, I don't remember that being so goofy the last time I saw it. It's so goofy. Oh. But I, I also think it's great. And it, it gives me more respect, I think, for Mary Shelley because <laughs> that woman was married to that man. And I, I just cannot imagine what that must have been. I know this is a fictionalized betrayal. But well, and that was Lord Byron, too. That wasn't even Percy Shelley. Percy Shelley was the other guy. Lord oh. Byron's the one that's going. He's the one that has all the lines at the beginning, and he's ah. so tell us the story, Mary, about the. You know, it's like Jesus, it's man. So ridiculous. It is so ridiculous. ridiculous. What do you think a nineteenth-century poet sounded like? Oh, I've got the perfect accent. <laughs> Jesus Christ! Bunch of sta- It's a bunch of theater nerds, just like ready to go. Pronounce, pronounce like you're on the stage, and and <laughs> really lift your voice and trill those R's. It really make trill sure, them like your your sure life your depends jaw. on it. <laughs> trill some additional <laughs> consonants while you're at it. Yeah, trill some. Don't even just not just the just R's. Just give them a stutter. Trill a Z. Trill a couple of Z's in there. <laughs> <laughs> I think you have the acting chops to trill that Z, buddy. <laughs> I shall try. Try. Zequil. I I don't know. I don't know. Like a zebra. A zebra. Still not trolling the Z's, but we got it. We're close. We're close. It's so over the top. And I pick like James Wales probably behind the camera going more, more. I I am sure that was the but like as they were delivering it, James Whale was like, yes. This will hit them. They'll get it. They'll get it. They'll understand. Um, so before this, like I said, The Mummy came out with Boris Karloff in a real good speaking role. Yeah, um, I mean, so Boris Karloff definitely, uh, like, like hit the scene pretty hard. And yeah. James Whale, too, you know, was delivering mm-hmm. some really very popular work prior to the sequel. Yeah. Um, and, and I think James Whale was, was actually doing so well with his other work because he also directed Invisible Man. Uh, yeah, yeah, Which and that a, came out a tremendous feat. We'll we'll talk about that movie at some point. Yep. Um, but but he was, I mean, he was really kind of having a, a great career. So great was his career that he he didn't even want to do the sequel. Yeah. They they had to kind of plead with him, and basically he did a he kind of set up like a, a a one for me, one for you kind of um, deal with Universal. Where uh, he was like, you know, I'll make my movie, the movie that I really want to do, and in return, I will direct your Frankenstein sequel. Right. Um, but but he didn't agree to do it for a long time because, you know, there really wasn't a great script for this sequel. And, and he was very much like, I don't want to do it just to do it. I want to do something that's genuinely meaningful, right? Like something right. that that uh, I think really can can kind of play into it. And I don't think the bride was really a focus in some of the first drafts of this movie that were that were written. Really? Okay, I didn't know that. Yeah, I, I'm pretty sure um, it, it was kind of like a late discovery or a late addition as they kind of delved back into the the Frankenstein story and the mythos to try to find, you know, something to dig up. And uh, and you remember in the Pun novel, intended. 
<laughs> you know, in the the novel, uh, Frankenstein actually does uh, beseech, right. uh, or rather, the monster beseeches Frankenstein to make a, a wife for him. Right. Um, but it, it's never brought to life. Right. It's like destroyed. I was going to say this is a subplot in the or yeah, a secondary right. plot yeah, within exactly, the novel itself. So plot. yeah, yeah, and, and I I believe that one that. Uh, corpse lady was destroyed before she was ever brought to life right um which you know causes a further rift but i like your i like that catch you just made there where you said you know frankenstein beseeches and then you said no the monster beseeches this Mm. movie helps solidify that confusion and for sure in mainstream media i mean the bride of frankenstein technically that would be elizabeth but we know we're talking about this monster being made and now the monster is i'm gonna bring up something kind of crazy here uh Mm -hmm. and and i don't necessarily know that this was 100 percent intentional in the naming of the movie uh this movie's so queer though that um, I, I kind of almost wonder, like, all right, it, like the Bride of Fran- Frankenstein, in a way, you know, might be appropriate because this is kind of a weird marriage of scientific minds as Frankenstein meets this Dr. Pretorius yeah. character who, who seduces him away from, you know, like the life that he thinks he's living uh, in order to to get the band back together and, and you know, make yeah. another corpse, yeah. make another corpse person. Yeah, uh, they. Yeah, that's an interesting way to phrase that because some of that, from when I was reading out of the out of the book that, that we've cited as a source that I don't have on my notes right now. So listen to an old episode to remember what the <laughs> it's, book it's is. Like the, the Universal the, Horror Universal Horror Monsters. Or right, right, right. Something like that. Um, they mentioned about the James Whale kind of putting these suggestive ideas in there that maybe there is this kind of like a sexual kind of or a or a, or a queer oh, yeah. kind of moment between Pretorius luring away. Oh yeah, from... it's, and and th- remember when I said in the previous episode, right. one of the things that that this movie does so well is that um, it takes you know what what really should have been or could have been text and and delivers it as subtext. Yeah, and and, and a part lot of that was for the code, right? The the movie well, code, right? Exactly. There's a a really big difference between what the previous movie did and what this movie does. Yeah, um, in the previous movie, there there was not that that film code right. that kind of dictated what you could or could not do, what you could or could not say in a, a movie. Um, a lot of that text as like, this must be what it feels like to be a God, right? right. That you kind of call out. Um, a lot of that text uh, just, just does not exist in this film as right. it would have because the this new film authority restricted how much of that you could you could uh, do or say for for propriety? Yeah. And as a result, there are a lot of really interesting lines that are delivered by the Frankenstein character or by uh, especially the Praetorius character. Yeah. Um, which which lead to that kind of subtext. Praetorius is constantly evoking this like pseudo religious experience through his dialogue right where he's casting shade at religion in favor of his science um but it, it you don't catch it right away unless you're really paying attention to it you know he he talks at one point in time i think he he kind of talks about the bible uh with this this intonation of like you know well if you believe your bible stories yeah and he says it with such sarcasm it's <laughs> super clear that he's you know casting a lot of shade yeah and you see a lot of this um kind of like recurrent christianity i would say if there if we look at the subtext in the, this movie and i want to dive into some of the subtext yeah right the two avenues are are uh of course the the way that this film relates to christianity and and contemplates this religious uh doctrine and also confronts uh queerness and yeah. and its representation of queerness um because both of these have been like the focus for so much critical attention and i i think they provoke some really interesting conversations um about both in a time when it was not necessarily super open to talk about them right the you know on 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 the surface on first glance or like a haphazard glance and watching the bride of frankenstein one might think it's just a clear rehash like here's you know frankenstein the doctor in the original movie finds this kind of 
he finds this power and he says that line, you know, now I know what it feels like to be God or whatever. Right. He, he, he experiences that hubris. And one might confuse Pretorius in this film as just going through the same motions again. And Frankenstein obviously has already learned the lesson. He's not happy about doing any of this. He's right. like, I do not want to do this again. Pretorius doesn't. But, but for me, I felt like as I thought about this, I thought it's not just rehashing this old theme again. Because Pretorius has taken that step further. It's almost as if Frankenstein had created the monster and then said, okay, what else can I create? Mm. Frankenstein realized this was not, this was a mistake. So he takes that step back. We see, what we see in Pretorius is not quite like a mirror for me of Frankenstein, but of a, a distorted mirror of like what would have happened if he didn't learn the lesson and how much further he can take it. Yes, absolutely. So, uh, uh, some film critics have have kind of dived onto this, you know, the same idea, and they compare Pretorius to the Mephistopheles, mm, yeah. to Frankenstein's Faust, right? And I think that that's an apt comparison. You know, I I definitely see Pretorius as being um, kind of the the predator character, He's, you know, the, yeah. the character who comes in and promises all of this knowledge, you know, this like kind of secular. Uh, and, and in some ways, carnal knowledge, right? Right. Um, I absolutely love his line about uh, the cigars, where he's, like, smoking the cigar, which, of course, is, like, very phallic in and yeah. of itself. <laughs> and he keeps saying, like, um, would you like a cigar? It's my only vice. Yeah. And I think that's so great. <laughs> it's so clever. Well, um, he says it later in the movie, too, doesn't he? He says it about something else, like wine or something. And he's like, oh, have a drink. It's my only vice. And it's like, dude, you're, you're, con- you're, you're like, not even, you're, you're like, contradicting yourself. Like, I don't, you know what? Maybe he did. Uh, I, I, I everything it, that comes out of his I mouth is was, just so swarm, swarmy. Oh, yeah, it's, it's just, so swarmy. It's, <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Um, That's I, a hard I, word for me to say, not near as hard as tangential, s- <laughs> I which I have mastered. Syphilis and... and s- <laughs> Syphilis and sickle cell anemia. Anemia. That was funny. That was a good one. Oh, man. The things we say. It's great. <laughs> it's And what's great is that it, it exists out there forever. Yeah. Yeah. A so comet could, could come to Earth, enough. smash in, destroy the entire human <laughs> the, race. The, the Some only, alien could come by and find only. our technology and be like, this asshole couldn't even tell the difference <laughs> between syphilis and sickle cell. <laughs> it's a good thing their race was destroyed. Yes, they just—they needed it. They, what idiots! It's like the end of Spaceballs. What's that coming out of her nose? Oh shit! There goes the planet. It's so stupid. Anyway. <laughs> so yeah, no, I, I think you're right. I, I, can't, I can't remember if he if he says something else is his only vice or if it. I felt like it was the sar- cigar both times. Yeah, but, maybe. It, yeah, but uh, but I think it's great how he just delivers it to to so many people. I also really love the line when uh, Frankenstein or the monster like comes in and he he's reintroducing the monster to Frankenstein. Yeah, and and he says something to the effect of um like. There have been some developments. Oh yeah, <laughs> and then the monster starts talking. To me. <laughs> yeah, because the monster's talking now. Yeah. Um, oh, we talked about that earlier. We talked about um, that's something I want to delve into too. Like this idea of so uh, of the monster of talking, the monster's yeah. evolution, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. Um, so yeah, like the thing that I read said that he was more of like a teenager, where we called him like an uh, an innocent child in the last. And, movie. and that was that was a, a directorial call, right? He yeah. kind of intended um for uh the monster to still have this like kind of like emotionally stunted uh kind of behavior um and so he he says he kind of has like the mind of of a child or the mind of like a five-year-old and yet the intellectual depth of a teenager yeah and um i thought wow that's that's actually really great um because we see so much more emotional development of the monster um especially as he comes out and he 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 comes back into the movie just in such rage yeah i mean he really we talk about like the violence in the previous movie as being um like accidental yeah and in this case i think the violence is so much more intense. you know what i realized in rewatching this the two people he killed at the beginning Uh uh-huh that's maria's parents that's the girl he killed 
accidentally in the wow. first one because there's I was listening to them and they're talking about like this won't bring Maria back and all of this and I'm like that's that's her parents and then they use the same name it's a different actor but they use the same name for the man and then he goes down into the I the, had not made that connection I I didn't until I just watched it the other day it's really really fascinating and then the woman helps him up and he tosses her down in the yeah <laughs> this kind of like yes this very like retaliatory uh strike right well, so what I was reading was like almost on so, like, you, you take it very thematically, and, and I right. do want to talk about that, that idea of, of the, the monster, uh, or as this being a directorial um, kind of decision to make the monster like this mm-hmm. and not like the last movie where it was both Whale and Boris Karloff. Mm-hmm. But what I read kind of put it into, <laughs> that, that's just kind of what we are. It's like Trevor goes into the nuance and I go into the succinct, and that's kind of how we marry all these ideas together. Um, but... They said, yeah, he's so much a, yeah, we're going to try and fix the mic while I'm talking. Um, did that do it? Is that all it took? We're, <laughs> we're, hey, there we go. All right. Yeah. Um, they it. said, they said he's so much a teenager because he drinks, he smokes, he talks back to his parent <laughs> <laughs> and he discovers he likes women. <clears throat> uh, yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, I think, um, oh man, I, I love the, I love the end of this movie. We're, we're skipping all around the plot, uh. I mean, if people need to know the plot right now, that's I. You know what? I'm I'm just going to tell them. Tell them. Tell just them the plot very briefly, yep. right? So the, the movie opens with the monster uh, having survived the ordeal of the previous movie. It, it opens at the very. That's something else I want to bring up later. But it opens at the very moment the last movie ended. Right, which is like the fire the, burning down. Right a- after the the prelude with uh, Lord Byron being just <laughs> Lord the, Byron, the worst fop ever. <laughs> um. So it, it opens with the monster as as he's kind of like recovering from this this horrible uh, you know like retaliatory strike from the village people, um, and he climbs his way out of this well that he's fallen into uh, from the the ca- the fort or whatever they burned the <laughs> whatever it was that they burned down the house, um, and he he comes out and he just you know kind of like rampages through people, yeah. and the whole time he's really just looking for someone to understand him. Yeah. Someone to get him. That's all we all need. Yeah. Someone to And he struggles us. because he cannot find a partner. Yep. Until he discovers this blind man who really starts to treat him like a person. Yeah. And 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 rehabilitate him to the world. He sees inside. He sees inside. I, I the, again, <laughs> this is a like pinpoint this, like, like put a pin in it because yeah. I think this is another one of those um like kind of queer subtext moments. Yeah. Um, but anyway, he, he, he finds uh, no peace there, no rest there, as uh, the village people just still want his blood. And meanwhile, uh, this Dr. Pretorius, this crazed doctor, comes in to seduce Frankenstein away from his domestic life as Frankenstein is trying to re- like figure out where he went wrong with the monster mm-hmm. and his great regret over creating the monster. And Pretorius convinces him to to like like I said, get the band back together to make another yeah. corpse person. Pretorius has made all these miniature people, the, like, the, the which weird is great special fucking, effects. Oh, I love yeah, it for that time. It's totally awesome. Yeah, uh, but yeah, the weird fucking uh, like weird homunculus people in bottles that, yeah. that he's created. Um, yeah, and Pretorius wants uh, wants Frankenstein to keep pushing. Keep pushing the, the envelope there, Frankenstein. Yep. And so uh, Frankenstein agrees. Uh, they come up with a new project, <clears throat> which is to create a bride for the monster. Yep. And uh, and that's what they do. They create a bride for the monster. Shocking twist. Don't they, do they, I forget now, don't they kidnap Elizabeth? Is that why they force Frankenstein to kind of agree they, to this? Yes, that's exactly, yeah. because Frankenstein is, is uh, he's reticent to do it. Yeah. He doesn't think he should. He's learned that lesson. And Pretorius and the monster kidnap Elizabeth and kind of force him to do it. Yep. yep. Um, I remember in in one draft of the story, uh, the the heart that they use to create uh, the bride was Elizabeth's heart. Like like in in the original draft, they killed her off and used her, like some of her parts to create the the bride. Awesome. Um, That was not kept, though. Ah, damn. And I think, uh, you know, okay, it kind of makes some thematic sense, I guess. 
Well, I read in that little book, too, that they were planning on killing off Frankenstein again. <clears throat> and they decided, they reshot it and decided not to do it. That's why he escapes. But then they say, if you look at, like, one of the, and I, I thought I saw him. But if you look at, like, the explosion scene right after he and Elizabeth take off, right. you can see him pressed against the wall. Like, they didn't reshoot oh, that. Oh, interesting. That's and it did look like him. I don't think it was Pretorius or, or the yeah. bride. I think well, it was him. In, in whatever case, right, um, the, the the bride comes out and she can't stand the monster. Yep. And the monster is so upset that, you know, even this experiment to create someone just like him who should understand his situation can't stand to be around him. He decides that uh, they, they, they both should <laughs> never have lived to begin with. So yep. he, he blows up the whole castle. Yeah, what does he say? We, we belong dead or something? Yeah, we yeah. like we always belong dead or something like that. Which is pretty profound for a guy that it's, just wanted yeah, to talk. For, yeah, yeah, exactly, yeah. <laughs> He's like, fire, good, we deserve to be dead. I, I think like that's a fascinating character development. <laughs> I resonate with that a lot sometimes. I do I, too. I sit there <laughs> staring at the spreadsheets I work on all day, and then I think, <laughs> we, we, we never should have been alive. Trevor's going to blow up the... No, I'm just kidding. He's not. No, don't I'm, call always, the FBI. I'm always. I'm always. It's, uh, it's not that I want to take anyone with me. It's just that I, I want. I, I definitely want a public statement when I go. Let me just put it that way. Um, man, this this, this movie, movie so, does stand on its own, though. It's, it's so. It's so it is. It really is, and I think what works about it is it's so original and daring. Yeah. Like like it really has something to say, yeah. and that's what I love about the subtext of these two. Uh, these two kind of like conversations going on, you know, yeah. the one about uh, religion and the one about, um, uh, you know, just the, the queerness of, of this movie. Yeah. Um, we see a lot of stuff hidden in the background that uh, creates this kind of thematic resonance that that shows off the monster as almost like like a Christ figure. Right. Yeah, there's, I mean, there's a scene where he is actually crucified yeah. um, by the the villagers. They string him up on a cross. Yeah. And 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 set him up, you know, kind of in the middle of the forest, um, <laughs> and, and like kind of showcase that they've 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 caught him. Uh, there's one point in time when he comes, and um, clearly, you know, has issues with with religion and the church. He topples a statue of a bishop. <laughs> In a graveyard yeah. with, with a Christ figure in the background, kind of towering over the whole scene. Um, apparently, in the original draft, he pushed over the Christ statue, and the the censors were like, "You can't fucking do that." <laughs> and so they were like, "All right, he pushes over this statue, like a different statue." And the censors were like, "Yep, you can do that." And they replaced the different statue with a bishop, <laughs> and the censors didn't catch it. Uh, which I think is just delightful. It's I mean, so that's clever. almost that's almost better because I mean, now he's not saying anything necessarily about Christ or whatever, but he's saying, you know, like here's this organized religion. I'm, right. you know, and he's doing it under the gaze of like Christ Himself. Like, watch what I'm going to do. Yes, Bam. <laughs> yes, exactly. As God looks down on this, uh, you know, on the thing that He's forsaken. Right? Yeah. Um, and uh, some other comparisons have been made of of the monster as as like. Um, like Christ in 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 reverse, right? Mm -hmm. um, because Christ, you know, was was born and then died and resurrected, and and that's kind of like his ascension to godhood, and and yet with the monster, right? Like his his story begins with a resurrection, right? Yeah. So so as opposed to beginning with a death, we begin with a resurrection leading <laughs> to a death, right? So it's, it's kind of like this reverse of of the the christ story um and as he interacts with these other individuals right who treat him like a pariah um he takes on more and more of these uh, kind of like pseudo religious qualities i think <laughs> um i love this the sequence when he meets with the the blind man yeah and the blind man kind of teaches him the way of the world um teaches him human compassion yeah and uh, there's this beautiful moment where they're they're just kind of like they're these 
these bond mates, if you will, you know, which again I think is very queer. Two men just living in a house together, <laughs> um, sharing meals and and cigars and all that jazz, learning about fire. I don't know. Um, and I I think that uh, there's just this beautiful development of the character of the monster. I find it really interesting that Boris Karloff himself did not agree with the decision <laughs> to have the, the monster learn how to speak. He felt like the speaking role destroyed some of the aura of the monster. Um, and, and I, you know, happily, I think he was wrong. Right. And that goes back to what we were saying earlier about the, how the, in the previous movie, the director and Karloff both had the same kind of idea of what the monster should right. be. In this movie, they they had to go separate ways on it. And, yeah, yeah, and, yeah. and then uh, Karloff really had to to um, give you know over his idea of the monster to what uh, James Whale was doing. I never, I don't know. I maybe it's just me. I never quite saw it as like a queer moment. I mean, I can see where it is. You know, can be can be viewed oh, I as think that, it, especially I think it definitely with is. with uh, with the you know, especially knowing what we know about Whale. Yeah. I just saw it as as a human moment, like this monster is oh, well, being I think taught. It is a I mean, human moment. when the when the old when the blind man lays his head on the monster's chest as the monster's laying down after he's kind of fed him, and you know, uh -huh. it's like this kind That's of it's totally rare. I mean, well, yeah, but you have. I mean, you can't not read it that yeah. way in a certain a, a certain again a certain subtext. Yeah, yeah, I, right. I I see, but I I also see it as just a human moment. He's hum He's teaching this oh, monster. Absolutely. He's allowing this monster to experience another side of humanity that yes. the monster has not been and able to. And I think to. that speaks to a lot of the queer experience in this moment, too, right? Yeah. I mean, we're talking about a time that was very not okay with, with queerness and not okay with openness about queerness. Right. Um, and so, in a way, I think James Whale was, was definitely talking about the isolation, I think, really, of of um, being closeted or, or the isolation of you know being different than uh, other people around you and and having a need having a need for a partner um, that you don't have I also think that the relationship between Praetorius and Frankenstein is super queer oh yeah yeah definitely. Praetorius himself is like just even his delivery oh yeah it's definitely intended as a queer analog yeah and I, I think it's really interesting too um, that Praetorius is the villain of the story yeah. Um, and I think that adds more dimension to, you know, some of the conversations about um, queerness and, and just the, the conversation about, um, you know, homosexuality that, that James Whale was kind of having at the time. There was, you know, this sense that Pretorius is is literally seducing Frankenstein away from his wife, away from his bride. Right. You know, to, to go <laughs> do the, the, the weird kinky stuff in the lab with Pretorius. <laughs> I, you know, I, I do see that and I do understand that, that side of it. I feel the need to, and maybe this is just me, but I feel the need to separate that idea of when we, when we vilify Pretorius with his smarminess, his, you know, mm -hmm. kind of added, that's not because he's this queer character. Oh, no, absolutely. Very separate. He, that's his villain side. Uh, right, exactly. But I think, too, if we look at it like that, we could mirror the relationship between Pretorius and Frankenstein against, say, the blind man and but the monster. Sure, exactly. One, one being a, a more destructive impulse yeah. and one being a more constructive impulse. Right. Right? The the humanness of, of uh, loneliness. And I, I think that, in a way, this mirror, as you, you would have it, um, kind of shows us, like, like the, the what, what, what can happen to a person who is too isolated? Yeah. What happens to a person when they do not have anyone? I think that isolation, that forced isolation, creates this kind of villainy in Praetorius because yeah. he is a genius. So isolated away from the world because what he wants and what he wishes to explore is so deviant from the norm, so deviant from what people will accept. Yeah. That... Uh, he, he, he just turns into this villainous character. Yeah. And I think in a way, um, I love Pretorius because I, I think he's, well, first, he's that, that performance is just amazing. He's so creepy and he's so weird yeah. and over the top and sinister. Um, and yet I think just like Frankenstein, just like the monster, there's still a human need that Pretorius is trying to express. And it's that camaraderie. 
Yeah. It, it's that it's that um, that connection that he feels uh, drawn to Frankenstein because they're both on this weird side of science that they, they just have a, a kind of curiosity that can't be stunted. Yeah. Uh, you know, and, and, and the fact that it doesn't fit into God's plan means that they have to embrace blasphemy. Well, right? the, they have to embrace it in order to, to feel their human selves. But Frankenstein is able to eventually pull himself away from it because he has Elizabeth and he's got like right. family and he's his got connections. He's got connections. Right. Pretorius bring, bring has nothing. Away. He's got exactly. And, and he much creates. Like, he's got the little jar people. Yeah. But <laughs> but those are all, they're also like like bizarre. Yeah. You know, um, and I think that they, you know, those things just like their pets. Right. Kind yeah. of speak to the same relationship that uh, Frankenstein has to his monster. Um the destructiveness, I think, of that relationship um, is, is just really interesting to me. And I think, yeah. again, it, it's, it fits in thematically to what Whale is kind of saying, which is that, um, you know, the isolation, the, the forced isolation away from the world, because the, the world says that these things that you do um, are deviant. Mm-hmm. These things that you do are, not, are unacceptable creates... Um, you know this this uh, like violent distance from everyone else yeah and yep. and that isolation can can create an and a bitterness right whereas the human connection that we can share whether that that love be platonic or romantic uh heterosexual or homosexual right indulging in that connection to to your fellow uh to your partner mm-hmm. um you know, like like brings us back into the fold of humanity. Yeah. I also think that this is one of the reasons why the subtext about you know the kind of Christian allegory and and like res- like pushing back against the church is so important because the church, uh, of course, is one of those um, uh, homogenizing uh, <laughs> cultural forces, right? Um, that force us into these very strict roles. And keep us, in many cases, from being able to build the kind of partnerships that we want. Yeah. I also think the greatest tragedy of this movie is at the very end when we think that we've got this this partner for the monster. <laughs> we've got this bride, this beautiful, striking corpse woman <laughs> who comes out and is terrifying. Yeah. Of the monster cannot stand the sight of him, refuses to uh, engage with him. And I, I think that's kind of beautiful because, um, you know, again, it's it's just another kind of like tragic isolation. And it brings forward <laughs> this question of like, you know, you absolutely can't just force someone, you know, to kind of accept what you want them to be. Right. You have to allow for someone to um, construct their own identity, to be their own person, and trying to trap them into this role of something that they're not. Again, I think this lends itself quite sure, well to sure. you know this queer reading. Um, you know, only creates like more division and more strife. Well, I just love the idea that one of them, either Pretorius or Frankenstein, had the foresight to put a fainting couch in the library. It, yeah, <laughs> brilliant, right? Yeah. Of course. Like, You're like, oh, well, you know, whether we she's are making, dead or not, she's going to faint. Yeah, this is 1800s, and we're making a woman, so she's going to faint, so get a fainting couch there. You know, I, I'm <laughs> and she throw, does. She faints here's on the, the couch. Thing, though, I, I'm just going to throw out there. I think we need more fainting couches in life, not because women are, are like, you know, too dainty or anything, just because, like, I I would like a fainting couch sometimes. Isn't that technically what I ha- I mean, I know it's called something, a chase or whatever yeah, in my, they, they, my living room, but that's, lounge, like, yeah. that's, that's basically a fainting uh, couch. It's basically a fainting couch. Yeah, I have a fainting couch. I, I feel like yeah. just we need way more of them. I'm going to go home, kiss my wife, and then faint on the couch. Best way to do it, man. That's, <laughs> That's the dream right there. Oh, my God. Um, what else we got to say about this? I, I mean, I feel like I've run through all of the things that make this movie special. I think we hit it because I think – and I think that's the, the point there. I think – as we run through, and the reason we're going to skip over so many of these sequels is because a lot of them after this was just... They're just schlock. Yeah, it's like, They're not hey, we need we need Frankenstein to meet 
the Wolfman. We need Frankenstein to meet Dracula. We need who and, have, and who haven't faced be, off yet. Those can be fun. They're going to be fun. But yeah. The fact that there's no real impetus there. Yeah. There's no real artistic statement there. Yeah. Makes those uh, sequels just so much worse. Yeah. And what makes this sequel, I think, so much better and even better than the original, is that it it clearly has something to say. Yeah. Something to do. It is visually gorgeous. There are some special effects scenes that I think are fantastic. Yeah. Some of the sets that they build, the the painted backgrounds and the sets, these weird telephone trees. <laughs> telephone pole trees with no branches. They at obviously all. had more money for this film than they did the first oh, one. Oh yeah, absolutely. <laughs> and 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 it's funny because um if you look at the budget, I, I think they, they made like double their money back yeah. in the box office. Like it was a smash. And hit. don't forget, folks, we are still in the midst of the Great Depression. In the very <laughs> middle of it. Like there's no hope in so sight. So impressive. And these movies are still making bank. But it, it's an artistic masterpiece. It is. There is no, there's no wasted space in this movie. Yeah. There's so much that is done, not just special effects wise, like with the, 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 the weird homunculus. Are, the story beats are fantastic. I mean, there, there's so much to be said throughout the story. And like you said, there's no wasted mm-hmm. space. This What and we described could possibly take a two and a half hour movie. Yeah. But this is only like an hour and 20 minutes. It's it's barely that. I mean, yeah. I, I don't even think it, it clocks 80 minute runtime. It may not. It's so beautiful. They just done. pack everything in there, and just and it's it is solid. I mean, yeah. for as ha- as hammy as some of those performances are, and it, it, it gets is hammy, solid. But I also feel like the hamminess just gives it a, a distinct identity all its own. Yeah, and, and I I think that we have to take the hamminess in turn as kind of like a comedy, you know, married to this weirdness of the rest of the movie because it's not all dark, it's not all gloomy. There are these bright moments of, of um, for, for a black and white movie, forgive <laughs> me, but uh, these bright moments of color, I think, yeah. delivered through the, the comedic value of some of these characters. I told you that the shrieking woman at the beginning. The, oh, she gets on the, my nerves. The, the maid, <laughs> the chambermaid woman or whatever. Um, oh, no. Oh, I, I, I saw wow. the monster. It's yeah. so <laughs> over the top. And, and when I first watched it, I was like, did they? Get Carol Kane for this role. <laughs> it's brilliant, and and I absolutely love that stuff. I feel like um, all of this stuff just it gives the whole movie a sense of voice. It gives the whole movie a sense of of uh, identity. Yeah, that is not necessarily just like a studio driving. You know, like well, this is what the audience-driven assessment of what we're going to do is, it, it feels very much like like an auteur. Yeah. Kind of like putting his stamp on something, giving something his voice, and actually saying something of, of value yep. through horror. Yeah. And that's why this movie is just, it, it's, it's almost a perfect movie. Yeah. And a lot of times with these franchises, what you have on the flip side of that idea is that movies are made to make money like oh mm-hmm. we can make money at this so let's cash let's right. make 10 saws Just, uh, yeah. and they don't say exactly. anything with the cash it's bill. saying the same stuff and but i agree with you i think whale probably said fine fuck you if you want me to make this movie i'm gonna make a fucking movie that's gonna and, and that's exactly what he did he, yeah. he was like i'm gonna make the movie i want to make yep and and uh, the studio went with it. I mean, for all that they fought Whale on stuff and, and kept a lot of stuff out of the movie, Whale found a way to sneak it in. Yep. He, he, he did it through subtext. He does it through a wry glance. He does it through uh, uh, an intonation through his dialogue that, that a few hints trilled. at his real purpose. <laughs> he did oh, it through a few so trilled words. <laughs> that is the one part of the movie that I just, every time I watch it, I'm just like... <laughs> This, these people are insufferable. 
insufferable. Imagine how many takes it must have taken to get through it was that. One take. That was one take. It was uh, no, I don't know. <laughs> I just envision they like that guy. That I don't know why that guy is the Jared Leto of his generation. <laughs> I just feel like that's the vibe I get. It was. It was just he did it in one take. He's just like, this is how I'm doing, Lord Byron, <laughs> and that's it. That's what we get. So what do we have? We have. That was me trying to segue. That was into our into our concluding remarks. into our concluding remarks. Yeah, we never script. We've oh fuck no, we've never scripted these. Um, we have <laughs> uh, the anthology. We have it's coming. It's, it's coming, coming together. Um, as as soon as a certain editor, him him, I'm point I'm pointing at me. Yeah, uh, uh, gets his shit together enough to to finish uh, reading through everything. I I really apologize to those who are still waiting. Uh, it is I I promise you I'm Some people have remarked to us and said and said, "Oh, by the way, I, if you've gotten that many submissions, I'm surprised you're as far along as you are." <laughs> I mean, like... well, it, it's 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 a a perfect storm of things. A whole bunch of personal stuff hit my life. Yeah. Work has has just absolutely smacked me across the face. Yep. We are a small team trying yep. to do this and we did have so many more uh, submissions than we ever anticipated. Well, yeah, and last year it was me, you, and Karen dividing there, up the there submissions. There were a lot of us, but because and of this year Karen is like taking care of our novels so that you and I don't have to like. <laughs> right, exactly. Even though I've read them and I'm, I'm so pissed much, that I can't add them to so my Goodreads. There's so much more going on behind the scenes of Slay House. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's 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 crazy. Can I hint at that plan that we have? The well, we're working on we're working on the the second contest winner. We're working on it's called Telethon. Right, yep, we're working on that. Uh, that is going to be a hoot and a half. I think you guys are going to love really it. It really is outrageous. And it's opened an idea. I'm going to go ahead and mention it. What the fuck? I'm I mean, mention go for it. it. It's opened. We, we've an been idea. working on this for a long time. It, it, this has not been something that we've just been like, oh, we're you know, we're yeah. like, we're just going to do it uh, by the seat of our pants. Like we we have actually spent the last six months like yeah. doing this stuff. Yeah. Like planning this stuff and and putting it all together. These won't be all the time episodes, and some of them might even require like a subscription, but um, or at least to listen to the whole thing. But we are looking at some radio dramas, some like old schools kind of style radio, and we want to do them right. So and we've to, been planning and to be, this. To be very clear about this, when we say radio dramas, we we are talking about adapting classic classic horror fiction mm-hmm. into a radio style drama. Yep. Um, so we, we with and, actors and that, with special effects and that means sound it, a lot of what we're doing is it, we've been doing extensive research for what are the, the public domain stories that we really want to adapt yep. adapting those completely yeah. rewriting some of them into a, a, a new script format that is more conducive to radio hiring voice actors in, mm-hmm. in you know in addition to the regular staff that, that we have yep. over at Slay House um you know, kind of like building the infrastructure to be able to even record this stuff yep. and, and get it down because we, we have done a lot of recording for some of these episodes already, mm-hmm. but it's, it's so much work. It's so it much is. production for a small team like us. Yeah. So, um, and we want it to sound good. And that includes like using, like composing scores, like right. composing sound. Exactly. I mean, that, that we, we had to find a dude who can compose scores for us. I mean, and do soundscape <laughs> work. You know, it, this we, is we've done a lot of there's research. There's a lot. And we're nowhere near no. a final product no. at this point in time. We are still in this kind of pre production stage where we're, we're still putting stuff together. I but, think the hope is right now, and we might streamline this to where we get once a month, but I think right now if we can get out like an episode every six weeks, I'm hoping we start this maybe later this fall yeah, and get the first one out. And that, that was, I would love for the aim. first one to come out in October. Yeah, like we're trying for that. Yeah. Right. Um, and, and so all of this stuff is kind of cut, like come together all at once. Yeah. And, and it just means that, you know, we've kind of had to take a little bit more time on our projects. Um, but these projects are, are coming along. Our our timelines are not broken or busted for them. Yeah. You know, we're really excited about these releases. Um, we've got a cover reveal coming for Tales of Slay House 2022. Yeah. Um, Tales of Should Slay House Should we do that September 1st? Still coming. Or the 1st of September? Well, by problem. the time that this drops, which would be September 2nd. <laughs> we're in that real with that I don't know why you're world. asking our audience. We're, <laughs> we're in that Would you like world. us to drop it in the past? <laughs> 
That's like the StokerCon thing all Phenomenal. over again. <laughs> I love this time travel bullshit that we always do. We're always talking about this. I mean, technically, I could edit this and get it out this Friday. I mean, well, uh, yeah. yeah, which yeah, is yeah. September second. Yeah, yeah. If you're hearing this on September second, re- as it's released, there might also right. be a cover reveal. We, we did it right. <laughs> <laughs> so look, if you know when you buy our books, when you support our Patreons, when you buy when you buy us a coffee, when you um, when you join the the ACAST subscription. Um, any of this stuff, and it's real. A lot of it's real cheap. It starts out I, like three bucks a you month. Know, um, I, I'm grateful that anyone spends their money on on. I am like too. Us. But that's what you're supporting when you do that. You're supporting exactly. everything that we're doing here, and, and, and you're making a real difference because the the people who are involved in all of these productions, uh, we are very passionate yeah. about this stuff. And and you know, with the the podcast, we we've not made, <laughs> we've not really made any money. You know, doing this podcast stuff, we do it because we love it. We do it because we we love to be a part of this conversation in this community. We hope yep. that you want to join us in this in these endeavors and celebrate some of these things as we celebrate them. Um, so and not we, just for horror, but also for for all the genre. That yeah, we, I mean, that's if, why we talked about Dash Hammett. That's why we're talking yeah, about Frankenstein. If you like any of this content, you know, even just a a buck a month goes a long way. Yeah. Even just, a, I feel like we've stepped into like the the PBS kind of give us a the, little bit. But I'm, <laughs> what I'm going to say, my my follow up is, even if you don't want to share money with us, what helps us is when you go out and you tell other people, check us out, yeah. check these guys out, listen to their stuff, G- grab one of their books, look at one of their stories. You yep. know, if you guys are at all uh into what we do uh share us around we we yep. love um seeing that kind of love and we're always happy to to reciprocate not saying that you know we we do this sort of transactional thing but oh, um, no. i've 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 encountered some absolutely wonderful people doing yep. this stuff um william Stern- sterling um, who has been just kind of touting our uh, like praise for us all over the place? Go listen to the Killer Mediums podcast. Absolutely, that podcast is so much fun. His guests are so great. I ended up me as a <laughs> guest on his show. He was so uh, just so great about it. Awesome. Um, and I think that episode is. I think that episode is awesome. <laughs> because I'm on it, but I also I can't think, wait to hear. I think his other episodes are phenomenal. Brianna Morgan's on there. Yeah. Uh, uh, I mean, just go check out his stuff. Also, huge shout out to uh, She Wore Black podcast and yeah. Agatha Andrews. She has been listening in. She she kind of like <laughs> she'll she'll DM me sometimes with stuff that that she caught on the show that she kind of liked and <laughs> and we we've shared um just a, a little passion, you know, for for books, this like small sliver of of overlap between the stuff that she really loves and the stuff we really love. And um that interaction is meaningful to us. Yeah. And so if if you're one of the people who share our stuff online, if you're one of the people who follow us on on social media, if you're one of the people who just interact with us in any little way, know that we love you, that we're super appreciative of you. And we hope that you'll continue to support us because it goes a long way in making any of the stuff that we do possible. Absolutely. Absolutely. We do. We love you guys. And. We are thrilled to be doing. I don't think we would be doing this if we didn't. I don't know. This is always I mean, the highlight of my week when it, when we sit in this sweaty fucking box, and uh, and we just talk about this stuff. That they tell me there's into. a fan. It, it doesn't work. There's it, the fan is a lie, like the cake. I just had it turned all the way up. Yeah, there is at least there's a light in here, but the light almost oh, makes the, it yeah, even. The light was makes uh, it harder. It was harder. sitting <laughs> in the dark, sweaty box it was even worse. Yeah. Hey guys, we love you all. Uh, thank you to everyone who supports us. Thank you to everyone who follows and listens to us. And uh, stay tuned. We'll talk to you soon.